everybody. Welcome to Wrong Term Memory. My name's Jack. Hi, my name's Colin. Jack, how are you today? Yes, I'm good. As always, I've got a bit of a cold. I always seem to have a cold coming on. <laughs> That's just my permanent status. I've nearly got a cold. But apart from that, all right. What about yourself, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm okay, mate. Yeah, it is kind of it is winter. It is flu season. You are allowed to feel that way at this time of year, I suppose. So I, um, I've got, I've got a bit of a kind of sore throat, kind of threatening to become a thing. Yeah. Um, it's not COVID, but it's it's a sore throat and it's doing my nothing. But it's not doing enough to make me want to take medicine or do anything about it yet. It's just been a bit of a an annoyance. But it's all good. It's not bad. Uh, back to work this week, first full week back at work after being off for almost a month at Christmas, and that was a bit of a shock to the system. But we we made it through. Yeah, that's it. Now today's episode, we we got a a listener mail that we will come on to later. But that listener mail sent me down a rabbit hole. And you know what happens, you end up finding stuff and things, and I'm going to be perfectly honest, the only reason that I've picked today's starting point, jumping off point, uh, The Persistence of Memory by Salvador Dali, is because it's got the word memory in it, let's just be honest. I thought, right, (laughs) why not? (laughs) Why not try and get an episode out of something that, I'll be honest, not particularly into my art, Colin. Are you an art fan? No, I'm not at all, to be honest. Um, I've got a, I just got some art for Christmas, funnily enough. Right. Um, but it's not what you would call, it's it's not like famous art. It's basically a guy called Ten Hundred, who I think he's based in Michigan in America, and he's got a YouTube channel. He does a lot of art, a lot of art tutorials, and just basically shows you doing his stuff, and it's very modern, and I just love it. So Lisa got me three of his prints uh, for Christmas, so. I like that sort of stuff. Um, I've got a couple of prints that another guy makes of basically paintings or drawings that he does of various different trainers. So I've got like a, a big print on office wall, which is basically every easy issue that was ever created up to the time that picture was created. So I've got that, another one for Air Jordan, another one for Air Max, and I've got a painting of Morrissey on stage in my office as well. Right, okay. Um, so nothing, it's not Van Gogh, is it? It's not... Salvador Dali. It's kind of kind of modern stuff. Um, I got an iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil a couple of years ago, and I started trying to do a bit of art, and I started it again during lockdown, and um, try to make some digital art myself and stuff like that. Basically, finding pictures, tracing pictures, then try to draw them myself and stuff like that. And I just did some stupid stuff, like I painted some Morrissey. I painted like Joe Exotic from um, Tiger, King. Tiger King. Yeah, yeah I did a couple of Joe Exotic pictures and. David Marshall asked me to do my Sonic the Hedgehog. I painted him a Sonic the Hedgehog on my iPad as well. And then I just stopped doing it. Got, got my taking up with other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I will get back into it because I actually was quite enjoying it. I, f- I think when you're when you're rubbish at something, but you can do it on an iPad where when you fuck it up, you just press a couple of things and it disappears and you can start it again and fix it again. It's actually got a good way of learning. Oh. Lisa got me a book for Christmas, actually, which is basically, it's, a, it's about a hundred different things that you can draw that you didn't know you could. And it's basically just step by step how to draw these things. I quite fancy doing some of them as well. But I'm not good at this. I just enjoy it. I'm shite, truth be told, but I enjoy doing it. But in terms of like actual famous bits of art and museums and all that stuff, not massively interested in it, not, not very knowledgeable about it at all. And I think a lot of it, Jack, is very much wanky in a lot of ways like some of the best paintings aren't necessarily things you'd want to have in your house aren't they well the thing with art is you you mentioned it there a lot of people will say things like oh i'm not good at art art is something you can you can teach yourself how to get better at drawing like the same as you can teach yourself this might come as a surprise to some people maths for example numbers quite a common trope for people to say is Oh, I'm not good at numbers, I'm not good at maths. It's because you're not practised. Same as fucking everything, basically. You can teach yourself how to get better at maths, and art is one of those things as well that just sort of practice makes... Maybe not perfect, but you know what I mean? I did Google uh, 1000 art there, just because I wanted to see the type of stuff you're getting. It's pretty cool, man. Uh, Pretty colourful, and a little bit surreal as well, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of links in to Salvador Dali, because... Now, the persistence of memory is Salvador Dali's the eccentric Spanish painter guy with the pencil moustache. Do you know who I'm talking about? He's yeah, got very, very fine care of his moustache. Do you know who I'm talking about? 
Yeah, I, reckon, I know the yeah. I know the guy you mean. He's yeah. he's quite he's quite distinctive. Yes, and he, his paintings are quite distinctive, and his most famous work basically. Its real name is the persistence of memory, and you're probably thinking to yourself, "What the fuck is that?" It's the Milton Clocks one, uh, basically, which I'm sure I said to Colin before we started. Do you know what I'm talking about? And Colin hadn't seen it. What do you think of it as you as you look at it, the Milton Clocks thing? I'm sure I've, I'm sure most people have seen it. If you've not, just Google Milton Clocks, and it's the first thing that comes up. I like the. I, I don't dislike the painting. I like the colours in it, I like the blue in the sky particularly, but I just would never say that that's a, I wouldn't even say that that's a painting that deserves its own Wikipedia page, right, but it's obviously one of the most famous paintings of all time, but it just doesn't blow me away, it doesn't amaze me, but I think that says more about my thoughts and understanding of art than it does about the painting. Look, it's, get, it's good, but it's not. It's not amazing. Yeah, that's it. Don't get me wrong. Like art is one of the most. I get these mixed up. I mean, again, subjective things in the world. Like you either fucking like it, or you don't. You know, and that's basically that's, that's the end of it. I we will kind of come on to that. I don't really. I fucking hate this over analysis and wankiness that comes with it. That you sort of mentioned this sort of. Oh, it's very much distinctly about the persistence and reality of time. Is it? Or is it just a fucking painting of Melton Clocks? We'll, 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 <laughs> like, we'll get on to that, I suppose, right? Um, it's also known as sort of soft watches, melted clocks, droopy watches. You know, it's got different names, but its real name is the persistence of... The persistence... No, it's not. The real, the real name is the persistence of memory, but it's also called the persistence of time. So it's got multiple names. He done it in 1931, right? And... Dali was a bit of a weirdo, as you can probably tell by the, by the painting. I don't know why you can just sort of judge somebody's character by the way they paint. To get into this sort of state of mind, Colin, he perfected what he called his paranoid critical method, where he would basically try and enter into this sort of meditative state of self-induced psychotic hallucination. So he was trying to make himself hallucinate so that he could make what he called... This is wanky as well. Hand painted dream photographs. <laughs> oh, what a dick! Right, I'm not sure how you go about putting yourself into a self um, state like that. Like, how? How? I, I don't even know if you know the answer, Jack. To be fair to you, but why? Why do you do that? How do you do that? And it just that seems weird to me. That seems somebody being a bit up their own arse and just losing themselves in their creative process and all that shit. Yeah, but it probably has a little it bit to do with mental. that. Yeah, it probably has a little bit to do with the whole persona of being a surrealist artist at the time. What kind of jumped into my mind was, it was 1931, could you not just go to fucking Tesco's or Asda and buy acid at that time or cocaine or something? Like, could you not? <laughs> like, you probably get, could, yeah, right, yeah. Go get fucking real drugs and stop being such a shitbag. <laughs> Yeah, and then maybe I actually start tripping, and you might make some <laughs> fucking good art. You know. Yeah, that does seem strange. Actually, that you would like. I don't know. You wouldn't get somebody now. I'm going to think really hard so that I feel high. <laughs> it just it just seems mental. <laughs> no. I, I just don't. I don't believe it. I just don't think it works. But I suppose that's maybe part of his intrigue, and he believed it, and that was enough. I suppose. Well, maybe it kind of reminds me of you know how you get these YouTube crazies and stuff. Like the Americans that were smoking nutmeg to get high, like fucking seasoning you put in your dinner. Like get the nutmeg it. Fuck off. Apparently nutmeg is very it's poisonous though. If you overindulge in it, it's bad for you. It can kill you. Aye, but so can apple seeds if you eat enough because they've got cyanide in them, but and so are bananas. Like if, I think if you eat, I think it's something like forty or fifty worth of apple seeds. So the amount of seeds, I don't know. So you get 10. I don't know how many seeds you get in an apple. If you eat tons of apple seeds, you get sick, basically, is what I'm trying to say, because you get cyanide in them. So if you right, eat hunters okay. of fucking pasta, you get sick as well. But, you know. If you eat hunters of anything, you get sick, I suppose. Yes, but yeah, there is that. It doesn't, it doesn't kill you. I yeah. don't think, whereas nutmeg apparently does kill you, which is a shame because I quite like nutmeg. It's got a, quite a nice um, taste and smell and stuff like that. Yeah, nutmeg. So you're into nutmegs. Yeah, it's nice to use it and uh, make dolphin my potatoes. Uh, nutmeg's a key component. Dolphinma, Cam loves Dolphinma. She loves Dolphinma oh, potatoes. They're so good. Yeah, they're the best. They're quite nice potatoes, aye. So, this is a bit sort of, yeah, 
smoke real drugs. No, by the way, we're not condoning it. Don't. Yeah, don't smoke any drugs. Say drugs no already. to drugs, guys. Drugs are for mugs, right? Just say no. Yeah, just say no. With a lot of these paintings, I'm going to say with a lot of these paintings, I'm going to compare it to one other. It's actually quite small. Obviously, you see pictures of it, and you kind of, in your head, you think what size it is. This is only 9.5 inches by 13, so I'm going to compare it to the Mona Lisa. I don't know what size the Mona Lisa is, but it's really small. It's meant to be dead weird when you turn up at the Louvre, and you, if you're expecting this sort of big painting, it's a tiny wee fucking thing. Yeah, so it's 9 inches. 9 by 13, yeah. So it's not even Let a foot. Let me just look... It's Let like me just foot. look at something that's nine inches long to get an idea of how long that is. Okay. I'll be fucking looking for ages, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that is a that is a very a very small painting. Like, why would you bother? <laughs> why would you bother, Dally? Why did you know just uh, chuck it as a child? <laughs> well, saying that, like he supposedly started painting when he was six. Right, another thing here. Doesn't every six-year-old paint? Yeah, usually like with bits of potato and stuff like that, remember? I don't remember using... Was it potato we used? I'm it sure we been. used like bits of potato to paint. Like that was, I remember doing that at Playgroup with potatoes. Um, but yeah, everybody paints when they're wee. Like, saying that he started at six isn't a big thing. It would be more of a thing to say that he started at six, but unlike you and me, he carried on after eight. That would be like <laughs> a, a more of a thing than he started at six. Or, or he started the day before he done this painting, and look how yeah. good he was. You'd be like, that oh, fucking hell, yeah, that would be a story. His big break didn't come until he actually created this uh, Milton Clocks thing, and every country went mad for it. It got put in the Julian Levy Gallery in New York in 1932. This was another thing I found a little bit weird, like, well, not weird. Don't a lot of artists not really become big until they're dead, or is, am I getting... Like, they don't make um, a lot of money. Like, don't get me wrong, there's artists like fucking... Him that made the Shark King, Damien Hurst. You've got the guy that makes the big metal dogs. You seen this guy? The big the metal. Makes metal dogs. It's like a big fucking metal puppy dog thing that he makes. It doesn't. No, it looks like that. a balloon animal, but a big metal one. Right. Okay. And he sold his last one for something like eighty million dollars. It's mental. So you get some, <laughs> but it tend, in my mind, it tends to be you don't become that big and that famous until you die. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm all over yes. the place with that, but. It could be like that when they die, people go into their houses and they find fucking a hundred odd paintings that nobody knew existed and stuff like that. And people get to see them for the first time because maybe it's ones they didn't show in public because maybe they, they didn't like them themselves that much, maybe. I don't know. You, you mentioned that art gallery in New York, Jack. I wanted to ask you, like, what's your thoughts on like art galleries and museums and stuff like that? Because it's something I do not enjoy doing. I just see that like going to an art gallery. And maybe this is an issue with me than it is with art galleries, right? Anything that's in the art gallery, I could just Google Images it and see it there, right? I don't need to go to an art gallery to see it. I don't really see the point. Um, But is that me being thick? Is that me being an uncultured swine? I don't know. You just seem to have not got past being a teenager, I think. like that. It just sounds like, <laughs> kind of sounds like something that a child would say, oh, I can just fucking Google it. I kind of get that, like, I've not been at an art gallery probably eight years, and the last one I went to would have been the new transport museum. Now, if you're not from Glasgow, we had a transport museum, so you would go, it was full of old buses, it had this really cool old cobbled street that went back in time, there was a cinema, you could go down the stairs to the underground, it was it was cool, and it was in... It was at Byers Road, I think, right about there. It was in the West End anyway, but it got moved recently. So I went to the new one. I don't, I don't know. There's something. Obviously, nostalgia plays a massive part in these things. I remember going to the Transport Museum as a child and thinking it was fucking amazing. There was James Bond cars, there was buses, there was trams, there was steam trains. It was cool. And then going to the new one just felt a little bit dull and I didn't enjoy it as much. But it's just nostalgia that flaws your memory I suppose yeah I went to the new one and I quite enjoyed it right but after 15 minutes I'd, I'd walked around and seen it all mm-hmm. um, and I was ready to go at that point I went with my daughter and we went on the same day we went to 
What's that big museum in Glasgow? The one in the West End. It used to be across roads for the transport museum. Just uh, oh fuck, what's it called? It's terrible. We stay in Glasgow, and you can't tell you what the it's, name. The one with Billy Connolly's shoes in it and all that. Ah, oh, fuck knows, man. Um, <laughs> Somebody will tell us. Yeah. It's a big shite museum anyway, right? Um, <laughs> we, we, we went there, and I was genuinely bored, but my daughter loved it, so it was fine, right? But I, I just didn't get anything out of it whatsoever. Honestly, didn't enjoy it at all. Um, got no enjoyment from it. But you're right, that is probably my personality and my what I like and what I don't like is, says more about me than it does about museums and stuff like that. But I just... I don't know, people when they go on holiday, they go to, like, not so much holiday, but when they go on, like, city vacations and stuff like that, or city breaks, they'll make a point of going to see the local gallery and all that sort of stuff, and it's just, I just don't want to do that. But that's the it. thing, like, you, you go on holiday and you do do different things. Like, myself and Karen, it's not a museum we went to, but we went to an escape room in Poland. Now, I'm pretty sure there's escape rooms in Glasgow, I never fucking mm-hmm. think I'd go into one. But just because you're in a different place, you think I may as well try something different. Um, oh, quite enjoyed it. It was the setup as you've got an hour. You're on a plane. The plane's got a bomb on it. You need to find and disarm the bomb. And Karen got bored within 35 seconds and sat and looked at her phone. <laughs> <laughs> was, question, right? See the instructions and like all the stuff about the room. Was it all in Polish? No, no of course not, no. Because that would make it harder. Oh, it would make it much, much fucking harder, yeah. It was hard yeah. enough. Like, the if people have done an escape room, it is fun. It was fun. There are some in Glasgow. They're, they're everywhere now. But Did you just, escape or did you die? We eventually escaped with a little bit of... Well, I eventually escaped with a little bit of help from the guy who's sitting watching you and it must be like, oh, for fuck's sake, man. It's like, look at the map, look at the numbers and I eventually figured out what I had to do and disarmed the bomb eventually. Um, after an hour, but yeah, quite enjoyed it. The fact was, I was in Poland, so I'd done it, but I wouldn't do it in Glasgow. That's what I'm trying to get yeah, at. Yeah, okay, know. I suppose, yeah, fair enough. The, okay. I sort of mentioned, do you want to take this one? I sort of mentioned that the wankiness surrounding that, and this sort of sums it up, I think, about the academic debate surrounding this painting. Um, is this in terms of what people thought the painting Yeah, so these sort of art thing? scholars, basically, yeah, trying to be yeah. super meta about it when... The basic thing is something much more simple. So yeah, there was a one of the, the most famous surreal painters in the world, Andre Breton, um, who is the founder of surrealism, uh, as if that's a real title. He basically thought that Dali was a supporter of fascism and could see evidence of that in his pictures, couldn't he? Yes, he he didn't like him. So again, it's just melting clocks, is it not? Yeah, I'm not sure where the fascist <laughs> stuff comes with that, like. I, I don't know where that where you pull that thought or that link from. There's plenty of stuff you could paint where you could sort of get that suggestion, but clocks that are a bit melted and bendy, bendy I don't think you would. Unless I'm missing something obvious. I don't think you are, mate, because some critics as well, it's a response to Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. The soft watches are an unconscious symbol of the relativity of space and time. Fuck off. Um, like They're not. And Dali even... I'll let you tell them what Dali actually, what the deformed clocks meant to him. Um, so he he basically said that the true muse that deformed clocks was a wheel of camembert cheese that had <laughs> melted in the sun. <laughs> Come on, like. right? So I mean that that tells you like why I sometimes think when people are standing in art galleries like for twenty minutes looking at the one painting, like admiring it and having all these thoughts about it. You're probably putting more thought into it than the fucking artist did it sometimes. I think um, I think that happens all the time, be it with uh, literature, film, the critics and the overthinkers. Maybe somebody was just writing a good storybook or painting yeah. something that looked cool. Why the fuck does it need to be an unconscious symbol of fucking space-time going backwards or whatever? It's not. like, And it's the same with books as well. Like, You would study these books and... Uh, we call them hires in Scotland. Your exams, basically, when you're about 15 or 16. Oh, let's read fucking The Great Gatsby and the symbolism and the big green sign. And yeah, maybe the guy was just writing a fucking love story or whatever. Like, he's peace. Uh, <laughs> the over-analysis annoys me. You can't... I don't think you can be sitting writing a book. Maybe you can. And you're definitely thinking, oh, this is a running theme. This is a running metaphor. This is a... I, 
Maybe they are. Maybe it's me that's fucking being daft. Maybe it is. It kind of annoys me. Like, the internet's bad for that as well because as soon as anything becomes popular, you can be guaranteed to be able to Google that thing and fan theory. And you'll hear absolute nonsense. Like, um, we're going from one extreme to the other here in terms of real high-end art, but then Harry Potter is a big one. There's literally thousands of fan fiction Harry Potter where Hermione's fucking shagging Draco Malfoy and stuff like that. That's a different thing. Like, fan fiction's... That's that's not an over-analysis of of the actual book, is it? That's just somebody... In some ways it is, because a lot of the ways they're pulling in, in... if you look at chapter seven of the Goblet of Fire, right. there is a segment where Draco looked at Hermione right. and this is where this instigates from and all that sort of stuff. People just like you say, analysing stuff far too far and try to bring symbolism into Harry Potter books as well. People try and say that the different characters represent religious people and religious things and stuff like that. And it's just it's a, just mental. It's just a story about a wizard, isn't it? It's just a story about a wizard with really imagined like JK Rowling. I've not read any of the books. Just a really imaginative writer coming up with all these different words and people and monsters and spells. She's just a really imaginative woman. Like, she couldn't have been thinking that the house of fucking snakes or the house of dragons or whatever, as the Muslims... Like, she's not fucking thinking that when she's writing it. She's not. She's thinking, that sounds cool, that looks cool, that... Well, that's what I think anyway. JK, if you're listening, let me know. In the same way that um, Dali wasn't out thinking about 100 million things, he was basically thinking one day, hmm, I like camembert cheese. And it melted and once. The window mm-hmm. And it was warm. And he went, if I had camembert cheese, now it would melt. <laughs> um, right, I don't want to paint camembert cheese. That's a bit stupid. So let's do some clocks that look like it. Right. And that was probably the thought process. Like, that was it, probably. Uh-huh. And But here, we're, we're part of the process. We'd have been a dick kids on a podcast in 2021 talking about it. So I've got a fact about big cheese. Hear big it? cheese, okay. I'd, I'd love to hear it because you know how I feel about cheese. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like cheese either unless it's melted. Now, you know how you get massive bits of cheese? Like, like, do you mean like big blocks of cheese? Like, like big circles of cheese, big wheels of cheese. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Do you know why they're that size and why they're that, like, why they're that big? Everything used to be taxed back in the day, right? Everything. Right. You know that? Like you would get window taxes and there was a cheese tax and basically <laughs> right. you were taxed per bit of cheese. Okay. So Crunch just started making fucking massive bits of cheese. <laughs> so instead right, of making so ten wee, wee bits, if I had a wee bit of cheese for a sandwich, I'd be taxed the same as somebody with a whole big wheel of cheese. Uh, you were, or you, yeah, you'd be getting taxed per unit, basically. Yeah, so just right, made the okay. units massive. <laughs> Fuck you! You're okay. not getting our money. We're making a thousand kilo bit of cheese, so we just get taxed for it once. I didn't know that, but yeah, that that is pretty smart. Or very stupid on the the lawmakers that they didn't make it by weight. Like, mm, come on. <laughs> like, you, think, you think that would have been a much easier thing, but this persistence of memory has been referenced in tons of things. The Simpsons, Futurama, Hey Arnold, etc. Cartoons, mate. Uh, may as well have a wee quick conversation about cartoons. I want to implore people that are listening, if you like Cubby's Enthusiasm and HBO type shows, Go and try and find a cartoon called The Life and Times of Tim. I've been pushing this for years to you, to other people, and they put it on that imaginary list of shows that people they go, I, I'll stick it on my list. But no intention <laughs> of watching it. If you're into curb, especially if you're into curb your enthusiasm, The Life and Times of Tim by HBO is it's only on for three seasons. The animation isn't great, but it's very much the Larry David is cartoonised basically as a, a young man called Tim just living life and getting into sort of weird situations where he's always in the right kind of like he's just a normal one and everybody else is weird you know how that's a very good way to set up a cartoon or a sitcom where you've got yeah. the one normal thing and everything else is wacky so the life and times of Tim go and watch it and report back you can let me know if you've watched it go to wrongtimmemory.com and stick in a wee, a wee comment in the, the contact page and We'll read it out because we're going to go on to a listener mail in a minute. But did you, did you say it's HBO? It is an HBO, yeah. Um, is that sort of made you perk, perk your ears up a little bit? I know you're a big HBO fan. Yeah, it's kind of if something's made by HBO, give it a go. Um, that should be their, that should be their slogan actually. It's <laughs> on HBO, give it a go. Um, because they just don't make shit, um, mm. and they've got such good budgets and. 
they get the best people working on their stuff. Like if you go on the HBO website or go on HBO Max and I've just have a look through some of the stuff they've got on there, you'll struggle to find things that aren't good television. You might find things that aren't your cup of tea, but you won't find anything that's actually badly made or poorly produced or anything like that. It's just proper good TV. Yeah. So the fact that it's on there probably makes me more likely to give it a go. If you were going to say it's on Netflix, some of them would be going, ah, maybe not. But yeah. if it's been if it's been kind of greenlit at HBO, then it must be something good about it. And they got three seasons out of it, like I said. So when HBO first came out, I'm pretty sure it was like as a subscription service in the, the late nineties, before they were making all the money through advertising and X, Y, and Z. Did they not charge an absolute fortune for a subscription when it came out in America? I yeah. Think it was something it, like. $80 a month or something if you wanted HBO because it was so basically so good compared to the rest of stuff that you had to yeah. pay that that premium for it it's not like that nowadays it's still very expensive now but it's Is not it? quite what it was yeah it's still very expensive but it's not what it was it's um when it first came out HBO was basically your only way to get big boxing on TV, they they showed a lot of the boxing, yeah, um, and they also showed a lot of movies, um, which is kind of where the name Home Box Office comes from. Um, HBO um, means Home Box Office. Um, it was only really when they first started their own dramas. I think Oz was one of the first ones they did, yeah. but nobody really watched it. The real thing that kind of broke them through was The Sopranos. Yeah, um, that's my favourite TV show of all time. Uh, people, yeah, it's top tier. It's definitely up there. Yeah. And that was kind of where it, where it came on its own. And then they started doing other stuff like The Wire. Six Feet Under was quite a big thing for them as well. And then they just kept doing loads and loads of good stuff. And they're now attracting proper Hollywood people to TV, which even ten years ago just wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have got Nicole Kidman doing a TV show. You wouldn't have got Matthew McConaughey doing a TV show. Um, but HBO could get them to do that for these miniseries. It works. It's it's amazing, and it's just that little that little noise at the start of an HBO show. I don't know why, but it's almost Pavlovian. You hear that, and you just know something good's about to happen. Now this is looping back to listener mail. Sigmund Freud was who we're going to come on to in a minute. The, the sort of father of psychoanalysis didn't really like the serialists. He, he thought they were far too conscious of what they were doing as art. He didn't think that they understood his theories, but he was a fan of Dali. And this is how I got to Dali, was through Sigmund Freud, because we got we got a listener mailmate, and if you give me two wee seconds, we will stick it on. We just got a letter, we just got a letter, we just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. So this one's from Andrew Tate. Enjoy that. I just like the bit at the end. Wonder who it's from. Wonder who it's from, yeah. Uh, Andrew Tate, who I think must be a youngest listener <laughs> because being a, a podcast author, I don't know what you want to call it, you do get access to stats in the background and basically everybody that listens to this is over 30, apart from Andrew, basically. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, enjoying the new pods from you guys. Like I said, we used to do that. We were still doing our thing. Just one thing I thought you might want to cover on the pod uh, this year I took a module in psychology in school. There we are, so we've got a school people listening. It was that or astronomy, uh, and psychology has a more sound teacher. That's a, a proper that's valid reason. That's a good reason. career choice, isn't it? Yes. Uh, that's, that's a flaming endorsement of the school kids of today. Fuck my future, that teacher's a bit better. He lets me chew chewing gum in class, I'll go with him. Basically, Kale that's it. Uh-huh. Uh, and we learned about Sigmund Freud and how strange some of his theories were um, you spelt theories wrong there Andrew I'm going to mark you down for that it's not his English teacher must have been a dick yeah, that must be why his English teacher must have been a complete cunt yeah the word doesn't belong to the theories that uh, it's IES at the end of theories anyway uh, such as the his theory of psychosexual development the way right, you need use some punctuation here man uh, the way that looks at the development of young people is just weird behaviour it totally is but he's a really fascinating guy as well. Um, he shouldn't really be starting a new sentence with the word but either. Well, you can, well my, English, my higher English teacher told me it doesn't really matter. Like, but and and, you can kind of, as long as it makes semantic sense, you're all right. So I'm, I'm, letting, I'm letting that one slide. Oh, okay, well, let him off. Uh, fascinating guy as well. Uh, like, he thinks that you're always in competition with the same-sex parent for the love of the opposite-sex parent, as well as a deep-seated, deep-seated, come on, you need to get that one right. Uh, love for the parent of the opposite sex. 
uh, more commonly known as Opedius complex. Yes, it is. Uh, it's called the Electra complex when it's the other way around, Andrew. You want to take a wee note of that and impress your teacher with it. Used most of these theories to explain the thing about him that people view as odd and scientifically just a bit dodgy. Yeah, just a bit dodgy is an understatement. Almost every single one of his theories has been disproven apart from sort of talk therapy, that sort of works. Anyway, this is probably very anchored here and I don't have the deepest understanding. Just rounded right up your guy's street, apostrophe S there. If anything, it might give you something interesting to read on a Monday night. I uh, hope you're both well and I hope Colin gets his dog two years in the making. There you are. So, minus four or five points for your spell in there, Andrew, but you managed to get a me in a rabbit hole and this is what we got the episode from so when you are sending things in we do read them all and we will pick and choose the the best ones and we'll get episodes from them basically so you create the content for us Sigmund Freud was and is um, regarded as the father of psychoanalysis Colin but he was is that weird alright he was born uh, 1856 eight children so uh, his parents were mad shaggers. Yeah, they, I was going to say they didn't have a telly, but obviously not. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it was a weird thing. Like back back then, having eight kids—that's that's a hell of a lot of work. Like I thought it was, I thought it was more normal back then to just be having I, kids I all the time. Yeah, there was no, there was, was, no contraception. There was no pill. There was no nothing. Like if you happen to, I was going to say something. Fuck. Right, I was going to phrase that badly. If you happen to get someone pregnant, that was it. I was going to say if you flung it up someday, like, chances were they were going to get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, back then, there was none of the none of the modern silence, basically, behind it. So, yeah, no. I think having tons of kids was normal. I think the, the main form of contraceptive back then was doing it standing up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely. Right. <laughs> but, but before we get into, before we get into the, the sort of facts, weird facts I found... What's your Sigmund Freud thoughts? You've, you've obviously heard of him. Did you ever do yeah. him at school or anything like that? Yeah, or? I am. Um, so I went through a, a very traumatic period of my life where I wanted to become a teacher and I messed up my maths exam at school. So in order to apply for university, I had to go and get my maths qualification. So after school, I applied to the local college and went and did maths and it seemed a bit stupid to go to college and just do one subject and it would, it would make more sense to do two just it would fill the timetable be less traveling for that and hour and stuff like that so i did psychology and that was my first real introduction to college and also to psychology and to freud and i remember being really really interested in it but i think i was just more interested because i was at college for the first time and it was a total different dynamic to school the le- you had a lecturer rather than a teacher and they spoke to you completely differently than teachers did and I think that sort of added to why I took quite an interest in it but I remember going into this knowing nothing about it and similar to young Andrew yeah. being blown away with this guy like uh-huh. fucking hell this guy's a maniac this guy is a nutcase there's obviously some proper signs to what he did and there's stuff there that he was right about and stuff but not a lot for every yeah like for every one thing that he got right and every theory that was almost on the right way there was a lot of fucking mental nonsense that he thought of which he must have been full of gear half the time I'm a bit surprised to still cover him at, at schools and colleges because all of his theories have basically been discredited like every single one apart from just the uh, talk therapy basically like just talking through things he was one of the first to do that and hey ho that was a big one fair enough so i suppose that's why he's left in but most of his theories have been totally discredited it kind of like it'd be like going to doctor school that's not what they call it at all uh medical no, school they call it medicine school yeah, yeah. or don't just uni well, they don't call it medicine school neither <laughs> uh, yeah you, medical school are you saying medicine school don't try and same thing. Don't fake, fake news. Don't try and rewrite the past. You, you made a mistake. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So can I be like going to medical school and going like that? Yeah. Uh, Doctor uh, Jeff McFarlane from eighteen seventy seven said that if you uh, put dog semen into your arse, it would make you happier. They don't teach that because it's fucking nonsense. No, like, I'd be fucking barking to believe that. You'd be barking. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't teach that. 
at medical school, so I, I don't see why they, they cover his, some of his more out there theories that we'll, we'll maybe get on to. One other thing that he kind of done, actually, where he was maybe one of the first to do this, was um, he had a wee dog, uh, a wee chow-chow puppy, called well, Joffy, but he was Austrian, so Hoffy, maybe? Hoffy. Hoffy the dog. <laughs> and he used him as a therapy dog. So he was maybe one of the first people to do that as well. Those, um, those I was going to make a dog joke about you, about yourself, mate, but any further along with the, the dog? What did Lisa say about me walking the dog? She listened, she, listened, she listened to the podcast last week and she made a comment upon it. So it's just, uh, listen, it's going to happen. I think, um, I've, well, it's not going to happen. It's it's on the cards if a few things fall into place. It's, so. a, theory that, it's a theory that might be discredited in the future. Yeah, it was a cold hard no for a long time. It's now a moderately warm could be. So we'll, we'll see. If if she loves me, we'll get one. I'm sure. Um, oh dear. So we'll, 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 we'll see. Oh dear. Um, it would be probably will be something like a chow chow pup. Actually, that's the kind of dog I would like. They're they're beautiful wee dogs and they look like a teddy bear. It's I watched we watched a program this week. It started on BBC called um, Pooch Perfect, and right. it's basically like X Factor, but for dog groomers, right? And they basically get four contestants on each week, and they give them it's a bit like extra, a bit like MasterChef. Only instead of cooking, you're making a dog look nice. Doing up a dog. And mm. yeah, and it, honestly, it was amazing. Do you know, it was it was on for an hour. I watched the whole thing and didn't pick my phone up once. And at the end of it, five minutes after it finished, Lisa said to me, "You all right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit sad that I've not got a dog." <laughs> <laughs> it, genuinely, it genuinely made me sad but it was amazing seeing these wee dogs on the telly so I'm going to watch it it was well listen the show's rubbish the, the presenter is awful but it, it was just thoroughly enjoyable seeing all these dogs yeah we watched a documentary on Netflix not that long ago about like dog grooming competitions where you yeah, groom a dog and make it look like a fucking unicorn and shit like that like pure <laughs> extreme dog grooming we watched that it was okay these people are taking it a bit far. Like, you want your dog to be nice and clean and have a shiny coat and stuff, but you don't want to make it look like a fucking frog or a biscuit or whatever, I don't know. Anyway, back to Freud. Just butter through some of the weirder facts about him then, and we've got some memories in a while. So, let's do a couple each, Colin. Okay. He never really got his dad, right? And Freud could hold a fucking grudge. One thing that he never forgave his father for, he was insulted in the street when he was a child and Freud was absolutely aghast that his dad did absolutely nothing about it. And this passivity, as Freud called it, disturbed him and he apparently never forgave his father for the rest of his life. <laughs> like, that's wild. That's wild grudge holding that one. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, the, the man's no well. It's just, like, not to told something against your dad like, I, I don't think there's many things I could hold against my dad like if, if my dad turned around to one and told me he murdered somebody I'd, I'd feel bad but he'd still be my dad do you know what I mean the fact that he just didn't speak to him again and didn't respect him because of that is fucking bonkers I mean the next thing we're going to tell you will give you an idea of how bonkers this idea is before you get into psychoanalysis he was very preoccupied for a completely different topic he studied zoology Massively interested in this. And his specific interest, the one he focused his most on, was trying to find the gonads of male eels. So, messed about with eels, trying to find their boss, basically. This, um, this is a guy who banged on about fucking oral fixation and being obsessed with phallic, not art, but like things that look like dicks, basically. And what he's done is went, I'm going to pick the only fish in the sea that looks like a massive dick, and I'm going to try and find its balls. Yeah, come on, Freud. Who are you kidding on? He, I think his fucking theories were just him writing about himself by the fucking sounds of it, man. <laughs> yeah, and he took lots of cocaine. There we are. Yeah, he did take loads of cocaine. <laughs> and I, I, listen, I don't know anything about cocaine, right? Because I'm terrified of stuff like that. I've got a very addictive personality. If I ever took uh, a bit of cocaine, I don't even know if that's the right words I'm using, mm. um, I would end up addicted out in the street and dead within a month probably because I just know what my personality is like. I'm terrified of it. But I would imagine back in his day it was probably pure as fuck. Like it would have been it was probably heavy, proper, heavy, strong, proper good heavy. stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
It wouldn't be council. He would be taking the good <laughs> You've stuff. You've got that term right, aye. It wouldn't be council. <laughs> he would be on the good shit back then and it would have taken you to a different planet. I think he was even like, this is quite dangerous as well. He was recommending it to his friends and family and people like that. And when you are somebody like him doing the job that he did back then, your recommendations probably stand firmer than most people's. Oh, they so were, yeah, they were rock solid. He's, yeah. he's telling people to take this. This thing that's obviously so so bad, but I. But if he's full of that stuff all the time, then it's no wonder that he's just trying to shit. Eels boys and falling out with his dad and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh man, having a conversation with somebody coked out of their nut is it's fucking awful. awful, man. Yeah. He had some. It's like it's like yeah. sorry, just to cut in. it's like when you're the sober one, you're talking to a drunk person. But oh. if you multiply that by about ten, that's what it's like. I know. Yeah. Awful. So, uh, Freud was full of coke. And that's why he was maybe writing some of the wacky stuff. But like people did respect him. Like he had super VIP patients uh, come to his practice. Uh, Prince Pedro Augusto of Brazil, Gustav Mahler, who was a big massive composer back in the day, and even Napoleon's great granddaughter, Princess Marie Bonaparte, was one of one of his patients. I kind of thought there was a patient confidentiality thing, but obviously it wasn't <laughs> much of a thing back then that they managed to find out. To be fair, he did. He did have a bit of confidentiality like in his notes. He had like nicknames for them, basically. I don't know what their nicknames were, but he never. We got onto his daughter at some point, but he never like wrote, oh, this is uh, Prince Marie Bonaparte he was talking about. He maybe called her uh, PMB or something. I don't know. There was a bit of confidentiality, but it's obviously came out over, over the days. Princess um, Marie Bonaparte, I bet you she's somebody that's pretty much holding on to her family's fame, isn't she? Like, you've got an actual prince there, you've got a famous composer. And then you've got Napoleon's great granddaughter, so she's like three generations removed. I wonder if there was anything. Still a royal, but like that'd be like saying that. Um, oh fuck yeah! I didn't realise the word princess was in that sentence. Aye, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. She's a princess. Okay, we'll let her off. Aye, it's not like a fucking third cousin who's living in a like. Was there not a documentary on years ago about like the the queen's fifth cousin removed, like the Earl of fucking Gibraltar or something, and he lived in this massive country house you know those big things with like fucking 48 bedrooms but they couldn't yeah. ever had a penny like didn't have a penny couldn't afford the uptake but wanted to hold on to this the family house the family house the family basically uh, sort of so i don't think princess marie bonaparte was like that yeah i've just googled her she's, she's not very bra looking no no i mean it was harder back then because didn't have as much makeup and stuff but she was yeah she's she's a bit, looks a bit like susan boyle fair enough Freud may have been a genius, or may not, he may have just been full of cocaine, uh, but he had a bit of dark side, and even during his heyday, at the height of his being a celebrity doctor, basically, he was accused of falsifying his findings to fit his own theories, so he was a, a cheating lying bastard as well. It'd be easily, easier done then though, because like, like I say, you'd respect him and you'd believe him, and even if you weren't sure about what he told you... There's not really any other conflicting opinions out there. You can't go on the internet and just look it up yourself sort of thing. So They'd probably just give you a line of Charlie and said, look, just take that and you'll agree. Oh, yes, I yeah, do agree with you. Can right. I get some more, please? There you are. Got them in his back pocket, for sure. One one of the things that I didn't know about him until we did the research for this, which mm -hmm. puts him even further down my estimation, <laughs> this, is probably, this, this is probably yeah. the worst thing about him. Um, he despised America, particularly when what he saw as its informality and greed. He hated the way that his American hosts would call him by his first name. Uh, Sigmund, uh, and he, yeah. thought, he thought American society revolved too much around money. Um, his hatred was so strong, he even refused to go there when he was seeking a safe haven away from Nazi Germany. That's a committed hated, hatred, yeah. It really is. Like, I would rather let the Nazis find me than go to America. I don't particularly it's, it's like, well say, known. for example... Let's say Russia, right? Not because of any political reason, but it's it's cold and rubbish, right? But see if there was Nazis as well. Yeah, if there was Nazis coming to Scotland and they went to want to go to Russia so you don't get killed by Nazis, I'd probably go. Right, okay. Probably would. They'd take a jacket, but you would go. It's yeah, just crazy like gloves. Yeah, you'd be fine. <laughs> it's just crazy like America is a wonderful place. It's not it's not having its greatest moment just now. It's a wonderful place. Uh, you need to fucking right, okay, go. Listen, it's not having its greatest it's day. It's not on its greatest day, but all they're doing is they're just fixing a few things so it's ready for me in August. That's what the big plan is. Get all this shit out of the way just now, get the new president in and get the country open and ready for when Colin comes, because mm. 
Colin wants to buy trainers and eat steak. Have you seen Twitter have banned him? Uh, Trump? Yeah, i just seen that. And um, I saw a communication that came out of the White House this morning that he's about to make a massive announcement based on technology, which has been something he's been working on for a long time. Right. So the rumour is that he's actually launching his own social network. <laughs> well, there is a social network out there called Parler. Have you heard of this? Yeah. I only heard about yeah. it today for the first time. It's a free speech network where you can basically say anything you want about anything. Yeah. There's no rules, no relegations. The only things they're really strict about bell accounts is the sign-up process. I believe you've got to give government ID or some sort of proof that you're a real person and your account is basically you. Uh -huh. um, transparency is key. Um, they won't let bots onto the service. You can't go on and pretend to be somebody you're not. They don't sell your data or any of that sort of stuff, which is that side of it is a little admirable. The only issue they're going to have is that as soon as they get to any sort of size, they're going to quickly realise that not selling the data, not running adverts, means they won't make any money and they won't be able to afford to keep doing it. Yes, it's, um, it's totally, well, so, I, I've got other issues with it. When, as well as the fact that it's full of horrible, 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 horrible stuff. But, yeah, I've not been on it, bad. so I don't know, but that is what I imagine would be the massive problem with it. Is I, well, well, I, I took a little look at their website earlier and like you say, they're pushing themselves as this moral and ethical shining light we do not do this we do not do that but you can say what you fucking want on it yeah well, see, when you say that to people they're going to fucking say what they want and it's going they to be are, nasty it's going to be, it's going to be awful <laughs> yeah. and all those all that nice stuff that they're saying they're doing and not doing yeah it's admirable there's a reason why facebook uses your data and runs ads there's a reason why twitter runs adverts they wouldn't make money and they couldn't run their servers without it so we'll see how long it lasts but maybe trump's going to buy them which for banter reasons, will be tremendous if there's a new Trump. I it would surprise me if, if that's the long-term sort of plan is to, when they're not making money, is to then look to the whatever wing, let, right, right, let's be honest, the right wing, right, let, well, use guys, if you want to peddle your fucking hate, use can donate type thing in the world with people that fucking, I don't know, I don't know, I've just got my, my doubts that parlour and this shining beacon of, oh, say what you want, is anything other than just going to invite fucking maniacs onto it, to be honest. So Yeah. Also pretty dangerous uh, for a brand new kind of startup of its of its type, type, which sort of came from nowhere in the last six months or so, to suddenly have, I think it's got millions of users already. And that means it's got millions of users, government ID, which is quite scary, actually. Yeah. Um, in terms of we won't use your data, we won't use this, we won't do that, but... We've got it. basically mm. the most important ID you've got in order to sign up. That's a bit of a concern for me. Yeah, it really is. You've but if you're going to sign up for that website, fuck it. So mm. yeah, fuck it. It sounds like a fucking shithole. You mentioned having an addictive personality. Freud did as well. Obviously, he was right into his cocaine, but he smoked about twenty cigars a day. And one of the things I mentioned earlier, he made up a thing about oral fixation. He basically thought that. Everybody wanted to shut things, <laughs> even children, and that's why <laughs> that's why they put things in their mouth. It's not that like they're teething or that that's just the way that they, they see what something is. He thought it was an oral fixation, and this is a bit of an urban myth. Supposedly one day, one of his students went, oh, you're smoking that cigar, you must have an oral fixation. And Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. That never happened. But it's one of those things that gets peddled as sort of like a witty comeback and him yeah. disagreeing with his own his own thing. But yeah, he liked eels, balls, cocaine and cigars. So And banging his mom. I don't know if I ever banged his mom. Is it well, no, I think he's allowed no, to. No, he's dead. So yeah, he banged his mum. Fuck it. I don't know if he did bang his mum, but I think he would quite like to have banged his mum, which <laughs> in some ways is just as bad as banging your mum. It's yeah, his mother his mother loved him more than the other seven, basically. I don't know if that's the last child syndrome thing or whatever, but yeah, he'd, uh, he was his mum's favourite, basically. Um, and that sort of, again, shines through in his work. we done a short-term memory about Nobel Prizes and Freud's name never came up in it because although he was nominated for 13, the loser, the absolute loser, never won any of them. So, well, <laughs> good. <laughs> well, Arsehole. I'm sure if he deserved one, he would have won one, but he didn't. So he didn't. So fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> in his own lifetime, people thought that Freud's ideas about women were controversial. One of his main main theories was mm. that women were envious of boys 
penises basically Alberman would, would rather have had a penis is what he thought basically and he definitely had issues with women being as important in his eyes as men um, he just didn't recognise them as being on the same sort of plane at all did he? No he was like a crazy 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 sexist like had no, no time for for women when it comes to when it comes to willies and flowers the only thing that I think women might be a bit annoyed about is not being able to take a pee standing up. Apart from that, I don't think they're fucking that bored, are they? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, and even um, even taking a pee standing up, it's not... Oh, you can t- a piss in a hedge. Not that. <laughs> uh, not all it's cracked up. It's not all it's cracked up to me, <laughs> but I under- Sometimes I sit down pee's nice. I, I sit down um, pee if I got up in the night, like because I don't want to turn any lights on. I don't want to piss everywhere. Yeah, the, the only issue with sit down pee is that very, very often a sit down pee will become a sit down jobby. <laughs> it's like your body just goes like that. Well, you're, you're sitting down. Yeah. May as well just sitting sh- down. Sh- sh- like that. Out. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Time for jobbies. So, <laughs> Time uh, for job jobs. Yeah. yeah. So that is the, the only risk of a, a sit down pee sometimes. But yeah, I think the idea that all women were envious of boys having penises is a bit crazy. Yeah. Jack, there's one, and I know this is one that you know a fair bit about. He was actually his own daughter's therapist, which. That's fucking bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I'm kind of going off the coffee. I don't have this in the notes, but Freud was okay with homosexuality, right? He thought, right, okay, guys are making... He thought it was a conscious decision for a start, which is obviously wrong. But he kind of went like, right, guys are making that choice because they have morals. But he thought lesbianism was amoral, was bad. No, he thought it was bad because women didn't have morals, basically. They were amoral. They couldn't make moral choices. And the only reason that guys made moral choices was because they wanted to not be emasculated by their own fathers. Right? I don't know what the fuck I mean. Right, okay. It's getting wacky. Uh, Turns out Anna was a lesbian, his daughter. She was right into the ladies, which is fair enough. He also had a theory that you couldn't treat family because you would treat them differently. But eventually she got to about 23 and he took, in inverted commas, her into therapy. And he would spend six nights a week, six nights out of seven a week, speaking with his own daughter about her masturbation fantasies. And some of these masturbation fantasies involve things like uh, an angry father uh, beating up a child, uh, an angry father, all angry father things. So I don't don't think you need to be a fucking psychologist to figure out where this is coming from. (laughs) He treated... He tried to treat her for being a lesbian, basically, which is obviously something you can't fucking do. And then what he would do when he was doing his travelling speeches, he would take her with him and sit her in what he would call the wife's chair beside him and then read out all these fantasies and shit like that to the crowd. And she was sitting there, but he he never used her name, basically. But she matter. then, yeah, she then wrote about it and because she's quite a well-respected psychologist as well, child psychologist. So she wrote about it in some of her papers, basically highlighting that her dad would stand there and speak to a fucking crowd about her masturbation fantasies while she was sitting in a chair next to him. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> fucked up, man. <laughs> it's fucking bizarre. Like, it's Jesus. awful. Yeah. So he had, he, he, had, he had these issues, man. He eventually died. At the age of 83, even though he was a smoker and a fucking cocaine addict. So he lived to a ripe old age, and that was. Uh, only, only the good die young, eh? Yeah, and that was in 19, uh, 1939 that he died, basically. Um, so that's Sigmund Freud, Andrew. This is all for Andrew. This is for one listener. So again, wrongtimememory.com, send in your stuff, and we'll maybe get a show out of it. If you've enjoyed this, yeah. as always, we're, we're bouncing up. I think we've got 90 odd ratings now. Loving it. Leave a five-star rating, please, if you've enjoyed it. Pass it on to your friends, hack their phones, subscribe on their phones, whatever. We don't care. Just do that for us because it really does help. So it does. Yeah, it totally does. Um, like Jack says, I think we're up at 90-odd um, reviews now, uh, which is amazing. The, the more we could get, the better. So please do keep it up. And like young Andrew, probably spelling mistakes and all these issues we he's typing, he went to the hassle saying there's an email and it became a show. So that's what we'll do if we get any good content ideas like that. We will always use them because me and Jack don't have the next year's shows kind of lined up. We don't have a strict plan of what we're going to do. Some of this is very much within hour's work or a day's notice. We'll think of an idea and try and build something off it. So we're always welcome ideas like that. Yeah, and to sort of highlight that, um, we're going to go to the 
sort of memory section and it's all about Glasgow this week so we'll be back in a couple of seconds. Email your memories to hello at wrongturnmemories.com Yeah, so like I said, this is just sort of things that people have seen uh, in Glasgow, basically. And we're starting with Nancy, who met Ross Kemp on the pedestrian bridge at Anderston, which is a place in Glasgow where he was filming his Extreme World episode here. He was really nice and friendly. Do you ever remember that episode, Colin? Yeah, it was awful. We went to the guy that pulled off his toes and put them on top of his telly. Yeah, he had he had toes on the top of his telly. Aye, so <laughs> it didn't it, it didn't particularly paint Glasgow in a particularly nice limelight. But supposedly a nice guy, and he's another guy that's been in extras that sort of played up to uh, the Super Awesome Soldiers, the SAS yeah, type thing, which was, was, which was, was quite very funny. Good in extras. Yeah. Very good in extras. He was. With the pulse, um, yeah. <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> is there a typo there? A guy, guy. Aye, there's always a typo there, right? Is it just a guy, right? Paul, I saw a guy getting knocked out with a banjo. <laughs> getting literally getting banjoed. <laughs> yeah, getting. Ban- I don't know if it, the reason I said it was that I don't know if it was so a gay guy getting knocked out with a banjo. I was like, what? Just saw a guy, a guy getting knocked out with a banjo, like. You must really annoy somebody to make them to want to ruin their banjo by hitting it over your head. Like, but I just don't. I knew a guy that played the banjo years ago, and I don't. I don't know. I just feel like banjo players aren't the violent types. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, it must be a thing though, because if it wasn't, why would that be a saying? Like you're going to get banjoed. Some there must have been like a state of banjo assaults at some point in order for that thing to become a to become a thing. I suppose. Right. Well, maybe it's better than getting crossbowed because Joanne seen two gentlemen running up Bothwell Street carrying a loaded crossbow hidden beneath a torn blanket. <laughs> oh man, this is my favourite one that you've got from John. This is I don't, I'd love to know why this person done this, but yeah, like if if you don't know Glasgow, it's all right. That where where, where this happens is proper hipster central, yeah, right? Which posh, might give us a bit really of an idea. Part, yeah. Posh hipster bastards up here, right? My, this is from John. My brother once watched a girl cycle all the way to Glasgow Uni, get off, and then spend the next 10 minutes meticulously wrapping her entire bike in tinfoil and then just walked off. <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, it must be OCD or something. There's got to be something underlying there. There, there must be something. But what, what the tinfoil was for, why you would do that, it, it's, it's fucking bonkers. Yeah, this one's. Um, a, I think you're going to take us home with Stuart here, aren't you? Aye, we're going to take us home with Stuart. This one sounds like something that you'd see in, like, a, I don't know, a sort of beige comedy, but it is true because I remember it. This guy used to work in the Archies, which was a club in Glasgow. You kind of call it a super club. It was like a club that would play uh, DJ music, Colin. Oh, Once a month, there was a night called Inside Out, so he worked at that for years. Inside Out. Uh, Inside Out, yes. And <laughs> uh, Stuart's manager, his mate, was the manager, sorry. Of, of the art season was dropping off flyers whilst uh, another new night was going on. The night was called Bully and it was it was a gay night. He said it was basically just loads of gay guys out there not clad in bondage, all doing sort of mad things or whatever. And he said that he made a swift exit as it was more wild than anything he'd ever he'd ever witnessed. But a true story about the same night, which can be verified, and I can verify this as well because I remember it being in the papers. Um, somebody complained. Um, about the debauchery that was going on inside and the fact that everybody was completely fucked and phoned the police. The police arrived, entered, and the crowd thought that there were strippers and proceeded to rip the clothes <laughs> off of all the policemen. And unsurprisingly, uh, that night was <laughs> was stopped and um, never ran again. Yeah, I can verify that. That was, I'm saying I can verify it. It was in one of the red tops many years ago that that had happened. I'm talking maybe about 20 years ago it must have been. Yeah, so it did make the papers that the police turned up and they tried to rip the clothes off them. <laughs> <laughs> I do vaguely remember the story in the papers, but yeah, that is amazing. Like, those poor police officers. Uh, before we wrap it up, again, if you're interested in where we sort of get our facts and our, our research, they are on the website, wrongtermmemory.com. We've got show notes that you can go and you can click and stuff if you like that. Uh, I don't imagine a lot of you do, but wrongtermmemory.com, you can find the show notes on there. As always, Colin, it's been fun, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it too. Uh, right, guys, 
Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye. You know, then the bye. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> bye. And that's definitely us, guys. Right? Ta-da. <laughs>